0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with Pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 10. 2 Kings chapter 10 in a Bible study that I've entitled, take heed to walk in God's ways. Because God's will and his word will come to pass. God always keeps his promises. And finally, as some might think, Ahab gets his just due. And so does his wife Jezebel, even though people were waiting and waiting and waiting for it to happen. Notice back in chapter nine, verse 35, So they went to bury her, that's Jezebel, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told him, and he said, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of Jehovah, which he spoke by his servant Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, on the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs will eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot at Jezreel, so they shall not say, here lies Jezebel. This is the word that was spoken by, this is the word of Jehovah spoken by Elijah. And we learned last time it's important to commit our difficult situations and difficult people in our lives to the Lord, trusting that he judges righteously. Don't be so easily distracted by all the emotion and the hurt and the pain that comes with difficult people and situations, the hard people, the hard situations, but trust God who is patient and long-suffering, his word will come to pass. Notice now in verse 1 of chapter 10. Now Ahab had 70 descendants or 70 sons. It could, this word in Hebrew could also refer to grandsons in Samaria. Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to those who reared Ahab's son, saying, Now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons, set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. Verse 4. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, Look. Two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? And he who is in charge of the house and he who is in charge of the city, the elders also and those who reared the son sent to Jehu saying, we are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Now we're gonna read to verse eight, but so in verse five, just just write a word right next to verse five. Write the word betrayal. Just keep that in mind. Verse six. Then he wrote a second letter to them, saying, If you are for me, and if you obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, 70 persons who were great men of the city, were rearing, who were rearing them, so it was... When the letter came to them that they took the king's sons, slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads in baskets, sent them to him at Jezreel. Then a messenger came and told him, saying, they have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. Now Jehu is set to wipe out the lineage of Ahab. He's on a search and destroy mission to find and kill every last one of Ahab's, King Ahab's descendants. Ahab had 70 or more sons and grandsons throughout Samaria. So Jehu writes this letter challenging the leaders and the heirs to fight him. Instead of fighting these leaders, it says in verse 5, the elders, the ones that are entrusted with leadership, the ones that are entrusted with oversight, they surrender and they betray. And the descendants of Ahab are surrounded by disloyalty. Now, the 70 sons of Ahab, these men, were murdered because those around them were disloyal and betrayed them. And I have to say, one of the greatest pains a man or a woman can face is to be betrayed by someone close to them. And betrayal takes many forms. The, someone that is disloyal, The definition for disloyal, according to the Bible, is someone that lacks giving or showing a firm and constant support or allegiance to a person. Disloyalty is a breach of trust. And betrayal is an attribute of this world. This world's filled with betrayal, with people stepping on one another to get whatever they want, no matter who they step on, who they hurt, who they take down. But it's not for the people of God. God desires us to be loyal first to him and to one another. Not only is the world filled with disloyalty, but disloyalty is at the very heart of the devil. It's what is in him who turned on God wanting to usurp the very throne of God. Imagine that. When you and I choose betrayal to betray someone, we are reminded of a most sinister one through the life of Judas, we're reminded of betrayal when Judas it says in Mark chapter 14 verse 10, that he went to the chief priest to betray Jesus. This was someone Jesus trusted. and this is someone that the other 11 trusted. This is someone that the 70 trusted. This is someone that the women that were serving. This was a very This man, Judas, was so trusted that he had the money that was part of the ministry, that funded the ministry. The Bible says that he carried the money box. And for a few dollars, he sold Jesus out, just a few coins. And one of the most painful things to endure in life is being betrayed by someone you've trusted. There's betrayal of friendships. There's betrayal in marriage. There's betrayal in church relationships. Uh, There's betrayal, you know, when the, the deepest... The deepest pain of betrayal is directly related to how much you trusted the person. The more trust, the more pain when betrayal takes place. And it just shouldn't be among us. Our loyalty to the Lord should lead us to loyalty to one another. Now, this is not a blind loyalty. When sin is involved, it's not a betrayal to expose sin. The Bible speaks of us to expose the fruitful works of darkness. Exposing sin and confronting sin, those things, you know, it's not blind loyalty where you just let sin go by, but it's the kind of loyalty where you, tr- you entrust something to someone, you entrust a, a, a tidbit of information, you entrust part of your life to someone. If, if you are being trusted, then hold that trust with great value and integrity. If there's a place where integrity should be, it should be in the house of the Lord. <clears throat> Remember and jot it down, Psalm 55, David writes, For it's not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man of my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the group, in the throng. Those of you Bible students, you know that David is writing about a man by the name of Ahithophel. And Ahithophel betrayed. He was one of David's confidants and counselors. And they would worship together and they'd serve together. And Ahithophel turned on him. And Ahithophel had his reasons uh, because David greatly hurt his granddaughter Bathsheba. So he had his reasons, but they weren't good reasons. He had his reasons, but they weren't godly reasons. And how careful we need to be. What What if you were betrayed? What if you have been betrayed? What do you do? Uh, your first thought is to get back at him. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? I mean, we used to go to church together. We used to worship there. We used to sing together. We used to serve together. What is our response? Our response is always forgiveness. That's the way out. To not be held in bondage to someone else's sinful decision, we choose to forgive and release to God and release that person from their debt against us, release them to the Lord, giving and extending the love of Jesus Christ. Whether the relationship ever ever gets repaired again, whether it ever gets restored again, that's gonna require both forgiveness and repentance. Repentance on the other part. But I'll tell you, there's no need for you on the other end of betrayal to be held in bondage to the pain and the hurt of that betrayal any longer. You can release it by by simply forgiving, and I know some of you are going, but Ed, man, I've got to forgive like 50 times a day. Well, 50 times a day is not even getting close to what Jesus said, in 70 times seven, and you math majors, you already know that's 490. Well, I've been forgiven 489 times, so the next time that's it, but that's not the heart of the Lord. It's a heart of forgiveness that we might, there's no spiritual value in being angry all the time. Have you noticed that yet? Just being miserable. Why are you so mad? Because I was betrayed. I know it's painful. But there's no spiritual value in you staying angry and frustrated all the time. There's no spiritual value in bitterness. Bitterness is a wicked emotion that defiles. You know, we don't use the word defile too much these days, so we would use the word dirties. It dirties people around us. Bitterness does. And the way out of this prolonged anger and the way out of this prolonged bitterness is forgiveness. Anger and bitterness and unforgiveness will destroy you. It will hurt you even greater than the betrayal itself. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and all types of malicious behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals were on one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. From the cross, Jesus is extending forgiveness to those that have crucified him. And that's why now I'm thankful for the body of Christ. Now I know you associate betrayal perhaps with somebody who was really close to you, somebody that walked with you, some spiritual relationship, but the body of Christ is bigger than your betrayal. If you, I don't see a lot of people writing that down. You should write that one down. The body of Christ is bigger than your betrayal. And what I mean by that, there's a lot of brothers and sisters available in the body of Christ than just the one that hurt you the most. And that's what I appreciate about the body of Christ, the family of God. It's an imperfect family. <laughs> you could even say it's dysfunctional, where we all bring dysfunction into our families. We, we, you know, we, There's a lot of talk in the world today about the dysfunctional families we came from. Well, the body of Christ is dysfunctional too. As long as there's sin, there will be dysfunction. We will not function the way that God intended until we are in his presence face to face. The body of Christ is broken. We are weak people. We do dumb things. We say dumb things. We make mistakes. We sin against one another. We stumble. We fall. Our tongues, they create wildfires. We say things in the second. You know, we're even to the point where we'll say something and while it's still coming out of our mouth, we regret it. And had, we haven't even finished the sentence yet. Because we make mistakes. We are prone to sin. But even though we have our issues, there is nothing like, there is nothing like the body of Christ on the earth today. I, I, was, I didn't read the article I should have, but I was going through uh, a list of headlines. And one of the headlines says, so this popular pastor said, he asked the question and probably had it in his message or something, but he said, why do gangs have better fellowship than the church? And I thought, what kind of question is that? Gangs? do not have better fellowship than the body of Christ because gangs are not connected to Jesus Christ and therefore share no koinonia with the things of God. So whatever they're sharing and whatever they're doing in plotting evil and to do destruction and what they call loyalty as they watch each other's back is nothing compared to the body of Christ. The body of Christ has a stronger bond than any group on the planet Earth. Why? Because God is in our midst. And he lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would just say, if you are in a gang today, and you're hanging out with the buds, and you just think that that's the way it is, and we're just going to be with each other, and we're going to do mayhem and destruction in our community, and we're going to give the cops a hard time, and we're going to make everything be- and we're just enjoying better fellowship than the church. I want to introduce you to Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, and he shed his only blood that you might be forgiven and delivered from the lifestyle that you're in, and you won't ever hurt another person the rest of your life, but your life will be turned around. You'll become a part of the body of Christ, adopted into the body of Christ, and you will experience fellowship like you have never experienced in your whole entire life. There is something special about being real with one another. There's something special about sharing in true koinonia. That doesn't mean that everything is going to go right. It doesn't mean we're always going to agree. It doesn't mean we're always smiling. It doesn't mean we always feel good. It doesn't mean we won't have disagreements. We're human, We're human. But I know this. From the moment that I was born again and relationships began to form within the body of Christ in my life, I have experienced closer relationships in the body of Christ sometimes than my own blood and my own family. Uh, Not my wife and kids, but my parents, my sister, other people connected to us you know, the, the type of relationship I have with my wife and my kids in the Lord. is unbelievable, unbelievable what God has in store. And yet, the body of Christ, this testimony is repeated over and over again that there are relationships in the body of Christ that are closer than your own family because God has called us to serve one another. And even if you have been betrayed, the body of Christ is greater than the betrayal. And you might even be hesitant right now. You go, wait a minute, Ed, I haven't experienced that anything. I haven't experienced that yet. And I think the key word is yet. Don't give up on the work of God in your life. Sometimes God delays close relationships so that he can do some work just on you. We're so used to dumping all our stuff on other people that when you come to the body of Christ, you just feel like, I gotta just dump everything in my life and you just got that habit of dumping, dumping, dumping. But the Lord says, no, I want you to learn something. You're to cast all your cares upon me. So I'm gonna reserve you to myself just for a season so you can learn to cast all your cares. Then you'll be better equipped to enter into a real relationship where there's give and take in the body of Christ. And some of the greatest relationships are actually relationships that experienced great difficulty and then you got through it together. And there was forgiveness. You go, oh, man, I was so wrong. No, I was wrong. And then you're arguing about who was more wrong uh, in the difficulty. And then you're like, somebody's got to come. Just stop it. Stop it already. The Lord is on the throne. Trust him. Trust him. We're adopted into a new family. Brothers and sisters in Christ who will stand with each other stand for each other. You know, if you study this, all throughout the Bible, there are these one another verses. As it relates to our our relationship with each other, one another. For example, in First Thessalonians five eleven, it says, "Encourage one another in the Lord." Hebrews chapter three verse thirteen, it says, "Exhort one another." In Hebrews chapter ten verse twenty four, it says, "Let us consider one another," and on and on. I remember years ago we put this list together of many one another verses that God uses as we relate to one another as God teaches you what true fellowship is. Remember Elijah, we learned with the life of Elijah is that when he isolated himself, he was really messed up. When he ran away from Jezebel to the caves, there he was all alone, he was in his deepest season of discouragement, his deepest season of depression, why? Because he got all alone, ran away, and there he was stuck with himself. He was away from other faithful men, other people that could speak into his life, and all he was doing was speaking to himself. And the words he was sharing with himself were not right. He was utterly discouraged, ready to quit. Some even suggest that he was suicidal in the cave. After his greatest victory up on Mount Carmel, where do we find him? In the next breath, in our reading, the next page, he's in a cave ready to give it all, give up. And the Lord spoke to him and go, no, no, you don't understand, Elijah. I've reserved a lot of people. There are people reserved. You just haven't met them yet. You just don't know them yet. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all wise judgment. A lonely saint is vulnerable to all sorts of attacks from the enemy, attacks in the mind that go directly to the soul. Again, the topic is betrayal because here these sons and grandsons of, of Ahab were betrayed and they lost their lives. But the body of Christ is bigger than your betrayal. Encouraging one another in the Lord is so important. Encouragement is a big part of our life in community here at Calvary. And there's a lot of different ways you can encourage. You can encourage through text messages. You can encourage through phone calls. You can encourage through emails. You can encourage by speaking to them. You can encourage right here before you leave. You can speak a word of encouragement or as we prayed in our time of prayer, you can speak and sow seeds of righteousness into someone's life. You can see an attribute in someone and say, I thank you. You know, I always appreciate this about you. Uh, You're always here early or you're always smiling or, you know, when we pray, you're so pat, you can find something That's very encouraging to say to someone, you know, people are just waiting to be encouraged. They're just waiting to be built up. And if you're the one that says, you know, I'm not going to encourage anyone until someone encourages me, like you want to know how to be encouraged, just start encouraging people. Don't be waiting for people. That's where misery comes, you know. it says you come in and go, nobody speaks to me, nobody greets me, nobody cares, nobody, 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 nobody. But with that kind of attitude, you don't even care about yourself. Because if you're discouraged and you're beat up, the way out, you control. You can just begin to speak into someone else's life. You can ask, you can be looking for someone that's more discouraged than you. Imagine that. You're like, nobody's more discouraged. Believe me, there's someone here that's more discouraged than you. There's. What was that? We need to check the uh, check the air conditioning. There's someone here that's more discouraged than you, and you need to step into their lives and encourage them. So you can focus on the betrayal and become a bitter, angry person that doesn't enjoy the fellowship of the of the believers that doesn't get the blessing for the moment that God has for you, why you're listening on the radio, why you're sitting in this room, why you're downstairs, why you're, you have presented yourself to the word of God. You can be angry and bitter and blaming and upset all the time and, and just be, just like here, betrayal killed them. And betrayal will kill you too if you let it. Or you could turn it around and realize that you're part of the body of Christ and everyone has a place Some people are arms, some people are feet, some people are mouths. But everyone has a place in the body, and everyone's important. Everybody is to be used. You know, in Colossians chapter 2, it says that, for I want you to know what a great conflict, this is verse 1 of chapter 2, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you, and for those in Laodicea, for as many as not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, would you turn to Colossians real quick because I want you to write something down. So write this down because we're not going to develop it, although we are spending quite a bit of time on this. We're not going to develop it because we could if we wanted to, but this word for encouraged in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, you can circle it and write next to it, parakaleo. Now, again, those of you that study the Bible, you know this is the same word that Jesus used to describe The Holy Spirit, the one that comes alongside, the one that literally stands next to. This is the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. The English word encourage comes from a combination of in, which means to put into, and the Latin root core, which means heart. It means to speak into someone's heart words of affirmation, words of encouragement. We just don't know what's going on in a person's heart. We just don't know what's going on in a person's home. We just don't know what's going on in a person's mind. I mean, imagine the room today. Imagine the room that you're in right now filled with the encouragement of the Lord from one another. So take a minute and just look to someone next to you and say something nice to them. Encourage them in the Lord. Just take a moment. Go ahead. This room should be loud with encouragement. Just say, I like you, or I'm glad you're here, or... Whatever, whatever you need to say. Now now flip around and do it the other way. If you're out on there on the radio, just say it out loud. Just, it's good that you're here. I'm going to encourage you guys. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're not in front of a TV. Okay, that's enough encouragement. All right, that's enough. That's enough. So check this out. The church has been filled, this building today has been filled with worship. It's been filled with Bible study. It's been filled with prayer. It's been filled with men and women surrendering themselves to communion. And now... For a brief moment, just by a choice that you made, it's been filled with encouragement. And that just covers all the negative stuff that you might have walked in with. And some of you are like, well, it's just, you know, whatever. You know, you just made us do it. No, no. God spoke into your heart. All you need to do is now receive it by faith. And that if no one, you know, if you're sitting alone or you're not able to be with someone or someone, listen, I'm glad you're here. God loves you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. That should encourage you. So now everyone's been encouraged. You see, you could fill the room with whatever you want to fill the room with just by your choice. That's what happens in your cubicle. You can do the same thing. It happens when you are driving on the road, in your car. It can happen in your front room, building one another up in the Lord. All right, with all that in mind, verse nine now. So good. Just betrayal is so bad, but it can be overcome so easily. And and loyalty is an important thing. Not blind loyalty, just loyalty. Loyalty is an important thing. Let us be known as men and women that are loyal to God and loyal to one another. That we might just know that we can God we have each other's backs in the Lord, in the Lord for good and not for evil. Verse 9 So it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, You are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. And so Jehu, verse 11, killed all who remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests until he left none remaining. Jehu appears to be doing what the word of the Lord was through Elijah, but he's not, not completely. He's wiping out the lineage of Ahab, but he went too far. Notice what it says. That it says at the end of verse 11, he also wiped out close acquaintances. God never said to do that. And priests, God never said to do that until none were remaining. Jehu is now acting out of emotion and zeal. There was wisdom and obedience in wiping out Ahab and his sons, according to the word, but taking out these others was not from God. He went too far. Hosea chapter one, verse four, it's a cross-reference. In Hosea chapter one, verse four, it says, then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel, it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. You see, Jehu established his kingdom, you'll recall, by killing King Joram at Jezreel just a few verses back in chapter 9. And this judgment now that's coming from God later will scatter the northern kingdom Allowing the Assyrians to conquer them later on in 722 B.C. Jehu's killings exceeded the reform and became atrocities. And he ends up becoming very much just like those he replaced. A zeal and emotion that caused him to be disobedient and out of control. Verse 12. He arose and departed and went to Samaria and on the way at Beth Eked of the shepherds, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, who are you? And they answered, we're the brothers of Ahaziah, and we've come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. And he said, take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the well of Beth-ek, 42 men, and he left none of them. Now, when he departed from there, he met Jehonadadab. Uh, If you guys are pregnant and you need a name for your kid, there's one right there. Jehonadab, Jehonadab. There you go. That's better. That sounds better. So it's even better if you want to name your son that. Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, (laughs) coming to meet him. He greeted him and said to him, is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? And Jehonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and he took him up into the chariot and he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Remember I mentioned that Jehu was acting out of emotion and zeal, and here he's admitting it. He calls it a zeal for the Lord, but it's too much. So they had him ride in his chariot, verse 17. When he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the words of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Jehu continues to find anyone related to to Ahab's line, wipes them out, and in verse 16, we we begin to see inside the man of his pride As as you notice in verse 16, he says, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. See my zeal. He brags about his zeal for God and wants to be noticed. He goes too far in killing beyond his divine commission. And he takes close friends, chief officers, priests. And, you know, this is a sign of a weakness of character. Inward pride. It always concerns me. It always concerns me when I see men and women try to use ministry, try to use the church. Even over the years, I've noticed trying to use this particular church family to make a name for themselves, to try to show off whatever it might be uh, that they wanna show off, or try to control people through someone, through a church, to be seen by men. It's always wrong to do something for God, to be seen by men. That's not ministry, that's pride. That's man's pride. Now, there are things that, there are ministries within the church that will put you before people. That's different. That's different. I mean, if you're just ministering to one other person, like, for example, when I asked you to encourage someone else, you were encouraging someone else, and they saw you with their own eyes. They encouraged, they heard you, and, and yet you weren't encouraging them to be seen by them. You were just simply encouraging them to encourage them. And it would be different if you ran up here and said, wait, 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 I am want to encourage everybody. And, uh, and you got, and they are like, whoa, bro, that's not, no, 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 go sit down. No, you can't tell me to sit down. And I said, so, no, I'm asking you to go sit down. No, you can't tell me to sit down. And then the security people in they one foot, one foot, one arm, one arm, and take you outside because that's not from the Lord. You're not to be seen by men. It's, it's better to what you do in secret, Jesus said, you just know God's going to reward you openly. And God, he sees everything. And it's a deep character flaw that's revealed in men and revealed in women that do things to be seen by men. To express, look at my zeal. Look at how zealous I am for God. And it's a very concerning thing. Notice verse 18. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, And Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice to make to Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. And Notice in verse 19, but Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the Israelites worshippers of Baal came so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. So he brought out the vestments for them. And Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshippers of Baal, search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshippers of Baal. So they went in to offer sacrifice and burnt offerings, and Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside, and had said, if any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. Verse 25. Now it was so, as soon as he had made an end of the offering, and of the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred pillars out to the temple of Baal and burned them. They broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. Interesting. So false worship is being dealt a death blow here by Jehu, but he does so deceptively, which leads to the question, is it okay to lie in order to bring out something good? Is it okay to lie? We see some people will answer that very, very quickly and say, well, of course it is. Because if something good comes out of it, then you can do whatever you need to do to bring out good. That is not a biblical principle. That's a worldly principle. That's the way we've been taught. We've been taught this, and it's been different phrases, but this is the phrase that that most captures this. The end justifies the means. That's just the way a culture works. I can do whatever I want as long as the end has some redeeming value. But it is so not the Lord. It's not his principle. It's not his desire. He, He isn't told to lie here. God doesn't say lie so something good will come. He isn't giving Jehu a plan on how to destroy all the prophets of Baal. He does this on his own. Is it okay to lie in order to accomplish the will of God? The answer is no. And you you say, it will prove it to me. Ah, Thank you for asking. Romans chapter 3 verse 9. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just, Paul writes to the Romans. People were lying about Paul, that he was teaching this very false concept, that you can do whatever you want as long as good comes. You can do evil so that good comes. And the answer is no, you can't. In another place, Paul would ask the question, should we sin so that grace would abound? And you know how he answers that? Certainly not. The strongest phrase in the Greek language to say, no, no, you can't sin so there'll be more grace. You allow God to be the dispenser of grace and you choose and I choose to do what's right. Verse 29, however... Jehu. So here he is. He does all this. He does it deceptively, gets everybody in, gets the worshipers of the Lord out, destroys Baal. But then there's this however. Isn't there always a however? I hope there's not one in my life. I hope there's not one in your life. We shouldn't be so comfortable with this. Hey, look at him. Look at him. He's wiping out false worship, but. And that's not how you want your life to end, is it? Man, you had all these years following God, but. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. That is the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all of his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. Haziel conquered them and all the territory of Israel from the Jordan eastward, the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aror, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Israel? So Jehu rested with his fathers. They buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his place. And that period that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. 28-year reign, but not all of it was in the Lord. Even though Jehu wiped out Ahab and he wiped out Baal worship, even though he did it the wrong way, it revealed the depth of his character his heart was not fully trusting in God. It says right here in verse 31, he took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all of his heart. He didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam. He still allowed and approved of calf worship. It's one of the places that we'll visit when we go to Israel. We'll go up to the northern part of Israel to Dan and they have a, an altar there that is a replica of what was there. And the children of Israel would worship calves there, these idols. And one commentator put it this way, and I quote Jehu was an effective soldier, but he wasn't much of a builder. And he's remembered only for the people that he killed. He could have assembled a group of gifted men to assist him in promoting the true faith in the land, but he settled for following the crowd and worshiping the golden calves. And I thought about that in the, the highlight of our lives. What is it that our lives will be described as? Will it be, uh, we could have, we could have, and then fill in the blanks, we could have done something really great for God, we could have really stepped in obedience, we could have really made that hard decision, we could have really promoted true faith in our family, we could have really, whatever it might be, but... We settled for some compromise, some worldly trinket, some thing that you took years to find out that it wasn't worth it. And his dynasty began Jehu with a murder, and now it ends with murder. And in between, it was incomplete obedience. And over and over and over again, that's what we see in these kings And over and over again, the Lord is challenged, God is challenging us. Will we go all the way in taking the next step of obedience and taking the next step of dealing with compromise in our lives? I, I don't want my life to be summarized, but he settled. And then that was the rest of my life until I died. Oh, he did this great thing over here, even though he did it the wrong way, he wiped out Ahab and his descendants. He wiped out Baal worship, at least temporarily. But then as soon as he wiped out Baal worship the wrong way, by lying and being deceit- deceitful, he turns to his own false worship, worshiping calves instead of the one true God. Father, will you just consider uh, the, the, the tone and the direction of our Bible study today? Just Jehu is, is not the man that we want to model our lives after. And we think of the topic of betrayal, and we, God, think about the topic of encouragement. We thank you for the word that you gave us in the earlier part, just a very direct word that was spoken to a couple, maybe more, uh, that was given to Pastor Aaron, followed up on and closed, Lord, where you were able to, to speak and uh, to minister. And now, Lord, we submit ourselves to you, God. We want to be encouragers we want to love one another. We want to serve one another. We, we desire, God, to be uh, in your will, to, to walk in your ways. Forgive us for doing the right thing the wrong way. I just remember that Ventures and Odyssey episode that my kids were listening to. You could do the right thing the wrong way. You could do the wrong thing uh, in, a, in a right way with the right motives. You could do the wrong thing the wrong way and the right thing the right way. And there were always those choices that, we t- that, that they taught my, that, that little episode taught my kids. And I just thought it was a great, it was a little game that they played. And, and yet life is no game, is it, Lord? We want to do the right thing the right way. Would you enable us to do that? Would you give us hearts to encourage one another? That that Bible study and gathering as church would not just be uh, to come, sit, listen, leave. Come, sit, listen, leave. But there's so much more. You want to fill the room with song. You want to fill the room with encouragement. You want to speak forth your word in the gifts of prophecy and exhortation. You want to give forth the manifestation of your spirit. You want to give discernment. You want to... You want to be experienced and submitted to and worshiped here. You want us to humble ourselves with the broken bread which represents your body and the shed blood represented by the, the cup, Lord. And, and um, you know, we, not so much on a Wednesday night, Lord, but, you know, we can be as a church so repetitive and routine that we miss out on the fact that we're worshiping the one true God. That we don't follow an institution. We don't follow a man. uh, We don't follow a movement. We follow Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again the third day. That we might have a relationship with the living God who has been tempted in all ways just like us, but without sin. And so would you pour out your spirit on your church today? On those that are visiting, those that are checking out, Lord, those that are starting on Wednesday nights and and just want to grow in you, want to be filled with your spirit. They want to have strength for today and hope for tomorrow. That You would just minister your word. Speak forth, God. Save, rescue, redeem. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora